Ready for a spring break to remember? Amtrak's got just a ticket for you and your crew. With share fares, you and your friends can save up to 60%. The more who travel, the more you save. Skip the hassle of driving through the Northeast while exploring D.C., Philly, New York, and Boston. No middle seats and plenty of legroom are just an Amtrak away. And with stops right in the heart of your favorite cities, you'll arrive downtown, not out of town. Savings start with three travelers. Eight travelers required for 60% discount. Visit Amtrak.com slash sharefares to book. Restrictions may apply. Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber. To improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. This content is brought to you by Uphold, which makes crypto investing easy. I've been a user of Uphold since 2017. They're one of my go-to exchanges. You can buy, sell, and trade cryptocurrencies on Uphold. You can also trade precious metals and equities. They have 10 plus million users, 250 plus cryptocurrencies, and they're available in 150 countries. As with all exchanges, you can buy and sell on them, but I highly recommend you custody your own crypto, not your keys, not your coins. If you'd like to learn more about Uphold, please visit the link in the description. Welcome back to the Thinking Crypto Podcast, your home for cryptocurrency news and interviews. With me today is Zach Bradford, who's the CEO and president of CleanSpark, a Bitcoin mining company. Zach, it's great to have you on. Hey, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Zach, I'm excited to speak with you because you know I've been seeing Bitcoin mining growing. There's been a boom in the United States, and I'm excited to talk about all the things you guys have been doing and your recent acquisitions and plans and so forth. But let's start with your background. I want to get to know you a bit better. Where are you from? Where'd you grow up? Yeah, I grew up uh, actually in a little town in Utah, Springville, Utah, about 40, 45 minutes south of uh, of Salt Lake City. And what's your professional background, you know, and, and maybe tell us about how you first discovered Bitcoin as well. Yeah, for sure. So, um, you know, my, my background is actually in accounting. So um, got into the accounting space, quickly shifted into the consulting side, I actually started a business after I'd been in the space for a few years that um, specialized in taking companies public and handled that whole process. Um, you know, a while into it, moved to the CFO uh, for CleanSpark, and really the rest is history. So, you know, started CleanSpark, co-founded it with uh, Matt Schultz, who's our executive chairman. Um, he and I started it uh, going way back to, uh, I think it's 2014 now. And um, we were in the energy space. So we were doing projects for the military in California it was all about renewables and um, we had software that specialized actually in grid management. So it was it was set up to really optimize energy systems, whether you're a business, it's your house or a data center um, to bring costs down. And so we were kind of pairing renewables with batteries and, uh, you know, flew out to Georgia to see a data center. And this is uh, early 2019. You know, didn't know it, but the pandemic was right around the corner and um, went through a data center. They were looking to bring their costs down. And during the tour, 
came to understand that data center was doing Bitcoin mining. Mm. And so, you know, I come across Bitcoin half a dozen times. Like I think a lot of people do when they get into the space and it's just this passing thing. They've got a friend that does it. They've heard about it. You know, somebody's uncle, you know, made some money and somebody else's uncle, you know, lost a bunch of money. And, um, but, you know, came to see how it worked in the, in the real world. And um, next thing you know, the pandemic happens and, you know, left to with some time to think and to dig in and really got orange pilled at that point to go down the rabbit hole and understand it. And so, you know, about 10 months later, I actually was or nine months after that moved from the CFO role to of CFO and president to take over the role of CEO. And um, within a few months of that, I walked into the the boardroom and said, hey, you know, we we actually need to look at this really hard and, uh, you know, consider making a change here. And so originally we were going to split our time between energy and and Bitcoin mining. But when you come to understand what Bitcoin can really do for the energy space and, you know, I see it as it can replace a battery, of course, functions very differently, but on a macro grid basis. So instead of focusing on a building by building, focusing on grid health, you know, grid wide. And, um, you know, so in December of 2020, as a company, we we, we made a wholesale change. So, you know, in, in the space of about a year between late 19, you know, to late 2020, got a full education um, on the whole thing. And um, yeah, it was it was really great, really eye opening. Since then, we've sold the entire energy business um, or shut portions of it down. And we're 100% focused on Bitcoin mining now. Wow. And we have just taken that energy background and expertise to optimize and make our data centers the most energy efficient data centers in the space, or at least amongst the most. Uh, it's amazing, amazing story, and how now you're full Bitcoin mining. Uh, you know, being an energy company in the, before, and you're using that plethora of knowledge that you have, uh, and to I'm assuming to better mine Bitcoin more efficiently from an energy cost perspective, which is a big item now for many institutional investors who are looking to invest in Bitcoin and want to make sure, okay, the Bitcoin that is mine, it's using clean energy or it comes from maybe from the United States versus other parts of the world. Uh, so there's like a whole other uh, can of worms here with Bitcoin mining that's being opened up. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's so amazing. Um, now the company, if I'm not mistaken, you guys are public, right? Yeah, we're, we're, we're public. So CleanSpark, we're NASDAQ traded. Um, we're, we're actually, I think right now we're the third largest by actual Bitcoin production, um, in the U S so our ticker symbol CLSK. Um, so we've, we've just had our heads down quite a bit and, uh, focused on growing. So we've, we've been one of the fastest growing over the last, uh, 18 months also. Uh, that's amazing. So tell us a bit about your operations, locations, type of mining equipment that you use. Yeah, so we are we we focus on self-mining, meaning we own the infrastructure and data centers. We also own the servers. We don't host for anybody else. Mm -hmm. So when we mine, we are mining for ourselves. And so we have five locations in the state of Georgia, and we have spread those out around the state. So 
Two of them are in the Atlanta metropolitan area. Two of them are further east in rural Georgia. And then one, actually, our newest acquisition is west of Atlanta, up right near the top of the Tennessee border, about 30 miles away. And um, so and they're all various sizes. Um, so exciting news, actually, you know, this week, um, we're actually lighting up an expansion that we've been working on. So which will actually triple the size approximately of one of our facilities in rural Georgia. So um, a little bit about each of these locations is you can Bitcoin mine in a, you know, a few different ways, but most common is either air cool. So think of an industrial data center. These aren't always the clean spaces that you see when you think of like what Amazon Web Services does. Instead, we it's all about efficiency and low cost energy. So you want to use as the least amount of energy cooling the space as possible. So we use a lot of naturally cooled air. And, and these servers are built, you know, like, like tanks to be able to handle that instead of needing to have these highly cooled spaces that you would see in a traditional data center. So most of our sites are in this air-cooled environment. So it's taking outside air, pushing it across, you know, through the servers, and then expelling that back out. But we also have a site we're really proud of in Norcross, Georgia, that uses immersion cooling. So we take the servers and they're actually in liquid. Now that liquid is, you know, uh, basically think of it as a mineral-based equivalent, obviously specially formulated to handle this. Um, But it's a couple benefits is you can actually push the machines a little harder because of how liquid transfers heat instead of how air does. It's, you know, a thousand times more efficient, um, but it's also quiet. Um, Air cool, you need to put those in locations and industrial areas away from where people live and function normally. Um, And, but our liquid cooled center, it's in a neighborhood and it's not any louder than your Amazon data center would be. It's actually quieter probably. And so, you know, that that's really one of the things that we do differently um, and we have some expertise in. And that's frankly, as we build into the future, we're probably going to start to build more immersion cooled facilities than we build air cooled on a long term basis. So but everything we do is focused on energy efficiency and, and minimizing that. Now, the servers we use, too, are also the latest generation, most efficient we expect to actually be amongst the most efficient miners in the U.S. Um, when you combine our facilities and the miners um, by the end of this year. So that's that's been our main focus, um, which is going to matter a lot because there's going to be a halving event that occurs in 2024. Oh, absolutely. And I definitely want to talk to you about that later on. Um, so tell us about you know the locations in Georgia. You mentioned some are near neighborhoods and so forth and using the immersion, it's much quieter. So people don't have to worry about the noise and so forth. Um, How are you incorporating into the grid? I know like, for example, I've spoken to some miners in Texas and, you know, the mine at certain points or they'll shut down depending on how the grid is reacting. You know, if there's a heat wave, whatever it may be, tell us about that and how you're finding that balance. Yeah. So we picked Georgia for, you know, a variety of reasons, business friendly state, so forth. But really, Georgia has one of the the most robust grids in the nation. 
Um, the, and it's also one of the, it's actually the only place where an active nuclear plant is, you know, being built and has been commissioned. So nuclear energy is carbon free and clean, but it's also a true base load. You don't ramp up and down a nuclear power plant, you run it flat. And so Bitcoin mining pairs perfectly with nuclear power. And so we, we, went that way because of its carbon free nature but also it's reliable. And so unlike Texas where you know in June a lot of miners in Texas had to turn off because right. there wasn't enough power to go to homes and things like that. In Georgia, frankly, there's actually plenty of power to go around. And so we actually integrate directly with the grid on all of our sites and we partner with the grids uh, on a kind of a real-time market-based pricing approach. So, you know, their signal to us really that they want, to, you know, consumers to reduce power um, for a variety of reasons actually has more to do with cost than it has to do with demand needs in the state of Georgia. And so we actually can help improve wholesale pricing as we shut down different facilities. But when power prices go up, we will you know, turn facilities off for a few hours. Um, but Georgia also has very low cost power because nuclear power is a really good base load. So all of these things have come together um, in why we picked the locations we're in. And so, you know, I don't have all the numbers from, from June, but, you know, in the first half of the year, um, let's call it through May, you know, we, we, we shut down for less than 10 hours across uh, all of our facilities. And so when, you know, when you look at that compared to Texas, you know, our job is to make Bitcoin. Um, and so you want to be in a robust and strong grid environment. Um, but we also strengthen the grid in a variety of ways through interacting with it. Um, but one of the biggest ways is we invest in it. We've we've spent millions of dollars, you know, building power lines. Um, you know, some of the money is built substations, you know, everything from substations, power lines. And it doesn't just benefit our facilities. It benefits the whole community around us. So that's how we see a really important interaction. Um, but but that's why also Georgia is very different from Texas when they have they're required to shut down. Um, when there's these, there's just not enough supply. Mm. I, I love that you, you know, you highlighted that you guys help set up a lot of the power lines and infrastructure, um, because I think those things aren't highlighted very much, you know, sometimes in the mainstream media, you just get the headlines, right. And sometimes it's certain narratives, but, uh, the fact that you guys are, uh, in certain neighborhoods, you're helping with the infrastructure, investing all this money. And I'm assuming uh, you're also hiring people in the local community. Yeah. Uh, can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think the biggest impact we have with hiring is actually in the rural areas. So, you know, when, you know, in Atlanta, right? So I we, we probably employ 40 or 50 people in the Atlanta metropolitan area. And when you think of the greater Atlanta area, that does, it's not a big number. It's not like the airport where they maybe have, you know, a thousand people that work for them. Well, you move out to these rural neighborhoods or, or cities and the entire city has a population of, you know, 3000. And um, so our jobs are not only meaningful, but they're 
high paying jobs, not only just for the region, you know, but they they provide a good quality of life. Um, I'd actually say for any of your readers who are interested, we actually released several videos of, you know, showing the impact um, around also the Digital Chamber of Commerce actually recently highlighted us in in one of their videos. But um, and I say that just to give perspective, because I think it's good to see the faces and names of the people it affects. But we'll, we'll go into a rural neighborhood that, you know, in Georgia, the carpet industry used to be the biggest industry. So there's carpet factories that were all over and there still are. There's just a lot less of them. And so you go through a community that used to have double the population, the factories moved, the cities, you know, come down. And, you know, we, we have actually a, one of our staff members I'll highlight. He has a degree in computer science. And during the pandemic, he moved back home. And the only job he had is he could work at a gas station that his parents owned. Hmm. And when we came to town, it gave him his first opportunity to work in tech. And so these are tech jobs um, that are really meaningful in the area. And so, again, it may only be 40 people, but when it's 40 people in a town of 3000, the impact is really outsized. And I think that's something that really gets missed in the narratives because Bitcoin miners, as a whole, all of us are generally building in the more rural areas. And, you know, one criticism is, oh, they don't employ that many people. But the people we employ, it matters a lot in those areas. Yeah, I mean, a, a job, you know, you're opening up opportunities and, and employment opportunities for people. So re- regardless if you're hiring 50 people or 1,000, you're still creating jobs. And, and that's the yeah. point, to, to give people opportunities. And um, in addition, you know, th- that could help grow the local economy. Uh, we're not talking the entire state, but, you know, they're like you're saying, these little towns, some of which... Uh, manufacturing businesses have left, like you mentioned, and with globalization, things going overseas, we're at least creating jobs here in the United States, which I think is a plus. Yeah. You know, not only that too, but one of the things that we do um, that is measurable in a different way is again, small communities, not a lot of business, um, but, you know, we pay big power bills and those power bills just have sales taxes attached to them. And the sales taxes attached to them already can make up huge amounts of the county and city budgets, actually. So we, we haven't publicized what those percentages are, but I'll just say it's it's significant. So and in Georgia in particular, the sales taxes, a chunk of them, a meaningful chunk is earmarked to the school systems. So we're meaningfully contributing to school systems in every single community that we go in through the taxes we pay that again, businesses, you know, a normal business, even if they have jobs, they're not going to have a million dollar a month power bill in a small town. Um, They're going to have, you know, payroll taxes and a few things, and they may have some sales taxes, but you know, the, the sales taxes we contribute, if you think about where that actually goes, that matters a lot. And so really, you know, from a community investment and impact point of view, Bitcoin miners, you know, are doing a very significant amount uh, to really better the lives of their surrounding communities. So are there plans to expand to other states across the U.S.? Uh, if you could tell us a bit about that. You know, we're we, we're always looking for for opportunities. In particular, we like Georgia for a variety, again, a variety of reasons. We're 
now amongst the largest consumer of power in the state of Georgia. Um, we've invested the most in the grid of almost anybody. Um, so when when you really break that down, we want to continue to grow in that foothold we have. With that said, we are interested in opportunities outside of Georgia. Now, we we actually have a, a slogan of America's Bitcoin miner, and we will be looking to American locations first. Um, and so we're, we've looked at things in Texas. We've looked at things, you know, in the Midwest. We've looked at things in the Northeast Coast. A lot of stuff on the West Coast uh, doesn't make sense just from a power pricing point of view. But, you know, we're we're very interested in continuing to grow. Um, we've engaged already. You know, we've done four or five acquisitions in the last 18 months. Our M&A focus is, is pretty heavy. Um, and th that's what got us from in about two and a half years from, you know, basically just entering the space to being the third largest. We, we do plan to continue that. But I think I think we're going to continue to make Georgia our home base and uh, continue to grow there first and look to other areas second. Um, now, I want to address something there, though, because there's sometimes criticism on, you know, oh, you, you're putting all your eggs in one basket. But you also know that basket really well. You develop relationships, you develop expertise in that area. All grids are not, you know, made the same. We actually operate across three utilities. And each of those utilities, they function completely different than than the other ones around them. So I really think that there's um, value in focus and value in relationships. You know, business works with people and relationships in the real world. As much as we live in this digital age, um, you know, knowing your neighbor is important. For sure. Yeah, it's a great point. Um, tell us about uh, the amount of Bitcoin you're mining, let's say, per month on on average. And are you, uh, I'm assuming to obviously you know, pay for your operating costs, you're selling some of that Bitcoin and you're maybe holding some of that. Can you tell us about that strategy as well? Yeah, absolutely. So for, let me establish a baseline. So we get paid as Bitcoin miners for any of your viewers who don't know, uh, basically the algorithm rewards us for the amount of data we process. And you me measure the amount of, I'm going to call it data for the sake of the conversation, data we process is is basically measured in hashes per second mm -hmm. and our you know global hash rate right now it's fluctuating a bit but it's call it 375 exa hash globally um we're currently at 6.7 exa hash per second so we're you know a couple percentage of global hash rate and our hash rate is scheduled over the next you know month or so to in increase about 20, 25%. So we're gonna add to that. So I just wanted to provide that context and that will essentially increase the amount of Bitcoin we mine 20, 25%. A lot of variables go into what that actually is on a month by month basis, which we don't we, we don't necessarily have to get into, but we're, we're, we're producing between 16 and 17 Bitcoin a day currently. And so we're on track to we should, you know, be a little bit above 20, 22 Bitcoin a day by the time we get to the end of the month, um, all variables considered. Sure. And so it call it right now 500 Bitcoin and we should be on track to, you know, add another hundred on top of that. Yeah. And so that that's that's the trajectory that we're on. Now, what we do with that Bitcoin is we have a markets based approach. 
And so, you know, if you go all the way back to when Bitcoin was 69,000, we did something really unpopular. Um, almost all the other public miners um, had a HODL strategy or hold on for dear life strategy that was sell nothing and, you know, do anything else you can to pay your bills. Um, we were pretty vocal about it at the time. Again, unpopular. We said we believe in Bitcoin, but we believe that you pay attention to what the market is. And the market had hit a point where we sensed a little bit of stretch that that may have been unsustainable at the time. And so we we started selling our Bitcoin. We were selling 100% of everything we mined to pay our bills. Now, that means that between 69 and 55 and 45 and 35 and all the way down to 16, we basically dollar cost average sold out of our position. And, you know, so we would produce 300 Bitcoin that month and sell it all 400, 500. It, it means our average cost of exit on Bitcoin, we'd actually did pretty well over the last year. Now, what we've started to do is we're now seeing a shift. Obviously, and the shift that we believe in that is indicating change for, you know, upward momentum in, in Bitcoin pricing. Mm -hmm. So as a result, we've started holding more. Now, the amount we hold is going to depend on what the market signals we see. That could change tomorrow um, and we could hold more, we could hold less. But we're on a trajectory to hold more of our Bitcoin right now because we believe the market signals are such that that it's time. It's time to start holding more. Um, and, you know, that's that's going to be our strategy. But if the market changes, shifts in a different way, we, we I really believe I'm a big believer. And you wake up every morning, you look at yourself in the mirror and you try and remove all the bias that came from yesterday. And you say, what's really going on? Um, what's the signal? What's the noise? And pursue the signal. So, but but I do expect our our balance of Bitcoin to to increase over the next you know quarter or so. I think we increased it 150 plus percent over the last quarter. What our balance was. So we're we're holding a little over 500 Bitcoin is our most recent announcement uh, that we released a few days ago. Find a fresh take on a fall getaway to Wilmington, North Carolina and beaches. Enjoy hiking trails in a state park, fresh seafood with a sight of live music and fall festivals galore. Then live it up along the Riverwalk in Wilmington's historic downtown. With three island beaches, Carolina, Curie and Wrightsville and a vibrant downtown, you get the best of the Carolina coast all in one place. Plan your fall getaway at WilmingtonandBeachesVacation.com. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Uh, I mean, you're, it makes sense. Like you're just moving with the market cycles, just like everybody else, right? Yeah. If you're at least paying attention to the charts and what's happening. And uh, as mentioned, you guys have a business to run. You have operating costs. You have people's salaries yeah. to pay and all that. Um, but, you know, I, I'm assuming 
part of your long-term strategy is also maybe hold some of that Bitcoin long-term maybe, right? Because we look, we see like BlackRock filing for a spot Bitcoin ETF and everybody else is lining up as well. There's going to be a lot of buyers um, and maybe holding some of that, like as, as if you're an investor, right? Like I have Bitcoin, I'm not selling for like maybe yeah. 20 years or something. Yeah. Um, so it just makes sense, you know, is essentially what I'm trying to say. No, I 100% agree. And like my, my personal strategy is, you know, I, I hold everything. Uh, I've, I've got the same thing, a very long-term approach. If I have, you know, the Bitcoin I have, it's a, you know, put it away and forget about it for a decade, right? Um, but again, like you said, having a business, you have to remove ideology. You have to focus on real strategy over ideology. And, and that's how we move forward. But I agree with, you know, there's a lot of, I see those that as signal, like true signal, the way that the ETFs have been progressing, you know, we've, we've had a bunch of things over the last year where there's been false starts there. And now we're shifting to a point where the signal is starting to be, you know, BlackRock doesn't file an ETF unless they believe they can get it through. Um, Fidelity doesn't, you know, file an ETF just to file it. So with with the depth of the line and the names that are doing it, I, I think that this is a good signal that a spot ETF is is in the future. And that's important because, you know, a future ETF means you're buying a derivative. You're not buying Bitcoin. Right. Now, a spot ETF means you're buying Bitcoin. And that's going to take supply out of the market because they're going to put it. They're going to do the same thing now. They're going to put it on a shelf and, you know take a long-term view on it. And that, that's going to be a meaningful meaningful step when and if, I should say, it gets a, uh, approved. But I, I, I'm, I'm a, personally a believer that, you know, it's going to be a near-term event sometime in the next three to three to nine months. Yeah, it's incredible, um, especially given the context of what happened last year with FTX, Celsius, so many collapses and issues in the market. But and I want to make sure that there's a distinction there because nothing changed with Bitcoin or the block Bitcoin's blockchain and, and other cryptos. Yeah. It was just these companies, which were not uh, properly, I would say, regulated because there's not clear regulations in the U.S. as yet. Yes, there are some financial regulations and guardrails, which you know apply to every company to a certain sense. Um, but despite all these uh, collapses, Bitcoin was fine. The blockchain didn't change. Yeah. Nothing got interrupt uninterrupted and. Now we see these big TradFi players, BlackRock, Fidelity, Charles Schwab, all these guys coming in and saying, okay, yeah, we recognize the value. This is a real asset. This technology has a lot of potential. I think Larry Fink, uh, BlackRock CEO, was on Fox Business yesterday even talking about this and and almost saying like crypto, Bitcoin is digitizing gold. It's almost like better than gold. Uh, it, was, yeah. it was really incredible statements that he made. No, no, it really was. And to your point, um, you know, earlier, you know, Bitcoin wasn't affected by what F what happened to FTX. The signal it sent to the market was, you know, oh, it's, you know, it was a very negative thing and real people got affected. And for me, the, the, the worst part about it is, you know, how many people put money in thinking they were buying Bitcoin and instead, you know, somebody took it and made it a political donation instead of actually buying the Bitcoin. When FTX failed, there was a Bitcoin on their balance sheet. And you think of how many billions there's a hole in the balance sheet where no one can explain it. What had happened if they had really invested that and put it where it should have gone? That would have all been buying in the space. How much higher would would could Bitcoin have gone? 
you know, and then you look at, you know, three arrows, they were leveraging everything. So many multiples uh, for anything that they were doing. Everybody was playing hot potato. If everybody had bought Bitcoin that was supposed to buy a Bitcoin, I actually think that Bitcoin would have broke a hundred thousand. And, and my, my, my fear is that, you know, these exchanges, because they were an entry point into Bitcoin or any other type of crypto, how many investors did they scare off that would have, you know, been very happy placing an investment in a solid asset on a solid blockchain that's truly decentralized. That's that, that's what Bitcoin's all about. It's about removing the middleman. And all we did with these exchanges is add a middleman that couldn't be trusted. And so, you know, I think that that's going to be the biggest thing about the next cycle is when you take an ETF that's regulated the way they are, audited the way they are, that's doing one thing, buying Bitcoin, that's going to be huge. And I, I, I think it's going to make a big, big impact to where Bitcoin's trajectory goes over the next five or 10 years. For sure. So can you tell us a bit about, and take us behind the curtain a bit, and I don't know how much you can talk about, you know, how you're selling and so forth. Like, are you selling to institutions, uh, you know, via OTC, um, or are you selling via an exchange, let's say Coinbase, whatever it may be? Yeah, you know, it's actually in our filings. So we we have to basically transact through someone that has a, a SOC report or an internal controls report. Coinbase is the one that meets that requirement that is the trusted party in the US. All of our Bitcoin is sold through Coinbase and um, that we don't sell it to anybody else. We don't do any private sales. We don't sell it to institutions. It just goes via one, one, one direction. And, you know, I do think that's going to be another thing that does develop. You know, NASDAQ is announced that they're going to have an exchange. And that's, of course, going to be a trusted name. Um, I think that the trust in exchanges will increase. Now, exchanges have a place and a purpose. You know, as, as Bitcoiners, we talk a lot about, you know, not your keys, not your coin you know, put it in cold storage, things like that. That is all true. But you think about somebody that wants to trade, let's say, or they view, you know, Bitcoin a little differently, or they want a really easy access point. They want to go into Fidelity and click buy Bitcoin the same way they want to, you know, buy um, a stock. And and, and that's how they're viewing it. I think these on-ramps are very important. And that's why I do think that as exchanges build in trust, and I, I think that Coinbase, frankly, is you know a trusted place to do it. Um, obviously not, not giving a full endorsement. They have all their problems with the SEC right now, but it it's not about Bitcoin, right? These on-ramps are needed. And then, you know, most of us in the space will use that to then move it to cold storage. Or and then back on the exchange if we want to sell it again. The exchanges are important, but we need the exchanges to be trusted. And and we're better off having that happen in the US where regulation can occur properly. If all these exchanges get pushed offshore into the Bahamas or wherever else, you know, uh, how much can we really trust? You know, even even the on-ramp and off-ramp point, right? Yeah. So, well, that's what happened with FTX, right? It, it yeah. wasn't FTX.us. It was FTX.com that was overseas mm-hmm. that was doing all the shady stuff, sending it to Alameda, right? And even though they were yeah. meeting with the SEC, nobody knew what was going on over there. Yeah. Yeah. So it is important that we don't rush it, run everything offshore. It, it, like if we, is 
in the U.S., if we lose that battle and everything rushes offshore, that like that that that's going to set the U.S. back decades in in this space because somebody else will make the regulation. Someone else is going to decide how to do it, and then every time an exchange in the Bahamas doesn't do what it said it was going to do, it's just going to make it worse for everybody. So it is important that we 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 in the U.S. take ownership. I really believe strongly about that. For sure. Yeah, absolutely agree with you. And then look, yeah, at the same time, you, you have if you are tech savvy or you know, you're so you, you take the time to understand cold storage and your personal wallet. Like I stored a majority of my Bitcoin on a hardware wallet, private keys backed up in different mm-hmm. places. But do I have some crypto and exchanges like Coinbase, which I'm trading? Yeah. Uh, but you know, to your point, we need to trusted institutions like Coinbase Insurance, custody. They're audited, okay. all of these things. Um, but you know, I, I hopefully, you know, as this industry grows, uh, people learn more about self custody as well, and they can just you know, hold the, the crypto in a hardware wallet, which is the ideal scenario. Yeah, it's the real, it's the real way to, it, it's the right way to do it. Um, but again, an off ramp and an, uh, like the, 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 those are important off ramps and on ramps. Sure. Absolutely. Um, so let's talk about the having coming up next year. Yeah. Uh, so of course the rewards are going to be cut. The difficulty rate for mining will be increased. Um, and now you have these big players coming in, and I think there's going to be growing demand for Bitcoin than ever before. How are you planning um, and prepping for this? And and maybe you can take us behind the curtain to explain the difficulty and the less you know uh, the cut in the Bitcoin rewards. Yeah. So, you know, we, we've been planning for halving really since the beginning of the cycle. Um, you really need to think a cycle ahead. Where do you want to be? So th- these cycles, by the way, happen every four years, approximately. Um, and what happens is, you know, Bitcoin only is, we'll have 21 million Bitcoin that will ever exist. Well, 900 a day is being produced approximately right now with 6.25 every 10 minutes. So you do the math and you say, hey, we're going to run out of Bitcoin. Well, a new new Bitcoin will not stop being produced until 2140, approximately. And so the way that the algorithm adjusts for it is the way is the way to think about it in two ways. Difficulty, which means when there's more processing power, therefore the, you know, the, the block is solved in less than 10 minutes, it makes it harder to solve. Mm -hmm. So when the average time to solve a block is nine minutes and 50 seconds, it makes it harder. And that that's difficulty. Now that happens every two weeks. And so we're growing, we're going to add more hash rate to the network in, you know, later this week. So that will actually make difficult, you know, assuming that luck stays the same, it'll make difficulty a little bit harder for everybody, ourselves included. Mm. And so um, now, instead of just building to, to, no, to nowhere, miners need to pay attention to efficiency um, and then the halving. So let's talk about the halving before we talk about efficiency. So the way that it, it really works too is every four years, that 6.25 gets cut in half. So you know, sometime next April, May, when the halving occurs, there'll be 3.125 Bitcoin produced for every block. So about every 10 minutes. Hmm. Now, on top of that block, there's transaction fees. So there's a lot of noise recently about transaction fees. 
because of ordinals and there was a temporary spike. And, you know, the algorithm is set up on a long-term basis that miners should optimally, you know, long-term be supported by the transaction fees as that reward gets smaller, 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 smaller. Now, um, as we approach this, it's important to recognize what's going to happen to global hash rate. And that comes down to efficiency. So let's say that the price of Bitcoin stays the same, but the reward gets cut in half. That means all the miners' revenue just got cut in half. Mm-hmm. So if if everybody's hash rate is on there, it's not created equal is the key thing to understand. So somebody is has an efficiency, meaning the power it takes to actually produce a Bitcoin is 40 watts per terahash. We're going to approach halving with right around 24 watts per terahash. So if you break that down, it costs them almost twice as much power, which means their power bill will be twice as much when halving occurs. Mm -hmm. What we're really betting on, and I think will happen is, there will be a chunk of global hash rate that unplugs. And that will then make it easier for all the miners that are left over to get a bigger piece of the pie. So even though the the block is smaller, it means I get more blocks as a result. And then the cycle starts again. Everybody builds from that base efficiency and we go from there. Now, there's also the other possibility and the ETFs are gonna make this really interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, And that is, Bitcoin's price doubles. That means everybody stays plugged in. We all keep building. Well, as we all keep building, it stretches that out. And the less efficient miners, you know, live to fight another day for a while and they get time to upgrade their fleets. But really, you don't want to bet on hope. Hope is not a plan. Hope is not a strategy. So we put ourselves in a position that if, let's say the ETFs file, and Bitcoin price doubles because supply and demand is changed, then we're just going to benefit that much more. Um, but you need you, you can't just fix efficiency overnight. You really have to buy the right servers. You have to buy them at the right price. And that's why, you know, again, we started thinking about this at the beginning of the cycle. We built from that way from the ground up. And as you know, as we approach the 2024 halving, we're going to, we've already started having some conversations, but we'll we'll start planning for 2028. Um, You know, probably in in the months leading up, we won't make any decisions based on that for a few months after, but it's going to be really important to think about 2028. That's going to be the one where the reward is going to really start to matter compared to Bitcoin's price. Because you think about, you know, 3.125 cut in half, starts to get pretty small at that point. Bitcoin needs to be doing really well, but efficiency will matter a lot. So again, that's that's how we're preparing for it. That's what halving really is. I think that, you know, as, and I'll, I'll speak maybe from an investment point of view, but as we evaluate whether it's a new site that we're gonna acquire, or, you know, if I'm personally identifying, you know, maybe a, a miner I might invest in, that's actually my number one criteria is how well are they prepared? How efficient are they going to be um, when halving comes along? Because, you know, n- nobody wants to run at a loss. So if you're left with, you know, unplug and call it a day or ride into the, you know, 2028 20, halving, that's what's going to matter. 
For sure. That's really great insight um, into how you guys are planning that. Appreciate that. Um, I want to get your thoughts on El Salvador and what they're doing, making Bitcoin. They obviously made Bitcoin a legal tender. They're looking to mine Bitcoin to volcanic energy. I think they're doing a bond as well. You know, what are your thoughts there? And do you see other countries following suit? And could other countries start dedicating some of their natural energy sources to mining Bitcoin, given that, you know, we're entering this new era of Bitcoin adoption? Yeah, you know, um, I think first, you know, any country taking some of their energy resources and dedicating it to Bitcoin, I think that's a natural progression. I think that nation state mining is going to become more and more common. Mm. Um, I also think, though, that in some of those countries, the path of least resistance is to just either partner with or support the miners in the area, especially if it's helping, you know, jobs, taxes, gross domestic product, wh whatever that country really, you know, needs and wants to focus on, including the U.S., right? Like, I don't necessarily see the, the you know, the government spinning a, a big Bitcoin mine. Yeah. Instead, I think that when they get the the message that, you know, it hash rate inside of countries matters, they'll hopefully just make it, you know, a regulatory path that makes it, you know, easier and more streamlined for large-scale miners like us to interact with the grid in beneficial ways. Um, so, but, but absolutely, you know, I think what El Salvador did was, you know, very smart. They obviously were doing it for their own reasons to get a little bit more control over, you know, their reserve currencies and things like that to really help elevate them as, as a country. And, um, you know, I, I'm actually excited to see what they do, you know, with, I think they're calling it the volcano bond. Um, yeah. you know, they want to use some geothermal Geothermal is very clean. It's also very expensive to build. And so it makes sense to have a country build that um, instead of, you know, a miner like ourselves, you know, making the geothermal investment on its own, you know, wouldn't make sense for us, um, but it's going to make sense for them. So, you know, I think it's going to be really interesting to see how, you know, countries contribute resources, allocate resources to it. But I absolutely think it's going to happen. And I think for countries whose currencies are not as well supported as, you know, the U.S. dollar or some of the other major major countries, Bitcoin's a natural place to go. If if you're sitting on a shaky currency and, you know, from a credit point of view, the you know, other countries maybe don't want to do business or transact in that, go to Bitcoin. Um, you know, Bitcoin can't be inflated which is one of the, the the main concerns when countries are working with each other is, is this country just going to inflate their currency and I'll end up with something that isn't worth anything. Um, you know, Bitcoin's a natural place to go because it's neutral ground and that neutral ground allows both parties to exchange in something that is, you know, really moving in a deflationary manner instead of an inflationary manner, at least in, as far as it goes over the, the cycles. So again, I, I think it's it's a great place to go. It's also something where, you know, a country that hasn't developed all the infrastructure around finance, you know, it's going to be built and ready on every citizen's phone, you know, when when the time is right. We're seeing a lot of that happening in, in you know, Africa, for example, where, you know, it's easier for them to transact with Bitcoin than anything else because, you know, people don't have access to traditional banking services. 
So you kind of have this banking service layer that's built in and the layer twos are making that a lot easier, like the lightning network. Yeah, for sure. And a question for you, I, I, this is a hard one, but do you, do you see central banks and maybe not next year or the year, but like 10 years from now, maybe holding Bitcoin on their balance sheet, like they do gold, uh, do, do you see that happening? If I was to make a bet, I would say a hundred percent. I do. Yeah. I think that there's going to be this push and pull, you know, um, about really incorporating it in to decide whether it's a threat or not. But then on a long-term basis, just like governments hold all kinds of different assets on their balance sheet, I think that it's going to make sense to put Bitcoin in the balance sheet. You know, we're, we're going to be talking a lot more about sats in the future than we are going to be talking about whole Bitcoin. You know, I, I think Bitcoin's on a trajectory to where, you know, it's not going to happen tomorrow and it's not going to, you know, maybe not in five years and it may take longer. But I, I think it's a seven figure asset. And when something starts to be an asset like that, who owns it? You know, anybody that keeps treasury reserves owns it. Companies are going to own it. Governments are going to own it. Uh, banks are going to own it. And it's going to be a, just an asset that they that they park for its its value in the same way that they you, they would real estate. And that's going to make most of us that we're going to be talking about, you know, 100 sats instead of talking about one Bitcoin. Right. And and that's the great thing about Bitcoin, too, is it's it was set up that way to where it's divisible and we're going to continue to transact in it or store value in it, whether we're, you know, it's technically 0.0001 Bitcoin or whether it's one Bitcoin. Um, and that's how this whole, you know, it, it was designed that way to help help it be sustainable on a long-term basis. I've talked, ex I said this exact same thing on the podcast many times that, you know, as the valuation of Bitcoin grows, people are going to be transacting in sats. You know, we go to the grocery store or whatever, yeah. you know, as these infrastructure items get set up using lightning or whatever it is, you pay, I don't know, a hundred sats for something. Yeah. I think that's coming for sure. So I definitely agree with you there. 100%. Yeah, I, I think. And we're seeing it small, but, you know, wide scale adoption, I don't think is too far off. You know, the same way you, you touch to pay with Apple Pay, I, you know, hopefully we can touch to pay with Strike or, you know, any of the other Lightning Network products at any, any store, any grocery store, the hardware store, whatever it may be. For sure. Uh, so Zach, I got some wrap-up questions here for you. Uh, first, if you could create your own metaverse, because the metaverse is coming, or one could argue we are in metaverse 1.0 as we're talking right now yeah. in social networks. You know, what would the theme be for you? Where where would you escape to? You know what I would do actually is I wouldn't have one um, because I, and I here's why. I think that there's going to be plenty of them. Sure. I I think that there's so much digitization that we interact with. I, m my metaverse would not to be to have one and would be to go outside <laughs> like get, get, get some vitamin d get some sunlight you know go walk through the woods um you know I'm, I'm i'm here in vegas and it's incredibly hot outside so i'm not gonna be doing that this moment but i really like to get outside like there's there's so much you yeah. know I, I feel like i live my life in an office in front of a computer and there's nothing that can replace you know getting outside in nature for sure i i certainly agree with you that i, I love to because you know, similar to you, I'm in front of a computer a lot. I tried to get out as much as possible. 
uh, just spend time outside, get some quality time outside, sunlight, fresh air, and all those things. Um, rapid fire questions. Favorite food? Ooh, Thai food. Anything Thai food. Favorite musician or band? You know, for me, it's very mood based. But uh, right right now, I'd say Thursday. You know, go, go, rewinding the clock a little bit on that one, but Thursday. Favorite movie. Ooh, same thing. Uh, whatever the latest comedy is, is is what you'd probably find me watching. Uh, favorite book? Uh, two favorite books, I would say. Um, Meditations, you know, Marcus Aurelius, uh, but also Lives of the Stoics by Ryan Holiday. Uh, recently read. Great book, just to get a little bit more background. I'm, I'm, I'm big into following Stoicism and incorporating it in my life. And getting insights on the people part of it. I really enjoyed that book. And finally, uh, hobby or pastime when you're not working at Clean Spark? Um, I really like cycling, mountain biking, um, but I, I also just bought a drift car. So um, <laughs> looking forward to getting into that. So it'll be new to me. Um, what, what, one of our actual, uh, our, our VP of mining, he's been into it for a long time. So uh, he's going to show me the ropes. It should be fun. So. Uh, that sounds fun. Uh, Zach, pleasure chatting with you. I'm excited to see the future updates around Clean Spark and uh, you know, wish you best of luck in the expansion of the business. Maybe we we can schedule something for you to come back pre Bitcoin having next year so we can, you know, talk about your plans there if anything has changed and maybe an ETF, a spot ETF has been approved by then. But thank you so much. Hey, I'd love to do it. Thanks for having me today. Guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.